Our reading today comes from both letters to Timothy. We'll start with 1 Timothy three fourteen through 16. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Our next reading is from 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our, of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of our because of his purpose, holy calling, his purpose of uh, grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before before the ages of time, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immorality to light through the gospel. This is the reading of the word. Before we dive into this word, let's humble ourselves before the king who spoke it. Immortal, invisible, the only God, will you get glory and honor and praise out of us, ordinary people? We are sinners. We were once foolish, insolent opponents, blasphemers, walking in ignorance of unbelief, and yet you poured your spirit into us. You washed us by the blood of Jesus. You brought your word to life. I pray in in my foolishness of preaching that your words would go out as decrees from your lips and they would go into the hearts of everyone here today to continue to transform all of us into the likeness of our glorious, risen, beautiful Savior. Our friend, our king, his name is Jesus. In that name, we humble ourselves before you today. Amen. What is truth? It's a question that Pontius Pilate asked Jesus at his trial, not realizing that standing before him was the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is truth. 
Jesus is the source of truth. All truth is best understood in light of Jesus. And we were made to be truth seekers. Made in God's image. We are always, whether we think about it or not, we are always searching for truth. We want to know how the world works, how it's supposed to be, how to align our lives with that truth. So we, we in, endeavor on scientific exploration, medical research, legal justice, political governance, education, philosophy, engineering, all these efforts to find truth and apply it to our lives. Even something like refereeing our favorite games or becoming successful employees at our jobs, having more pleasurable marriages, raising good kids. We want to know what the best way to do these things is. What is right? What is wrong? What is safe? What is dangerous? What leads to joy? And what leads to sorrow? We're always on a search for truth. Especially in those moments when pain crowds in to our lives, when things don't go right. We want to know why. We want to know what happened. What are we supposed to do about it? What could we have done differently? If your child dies... You lose your job. Your spouse leaves you. A close friend walks away from you. Someone questions your faith. It just shakes your identity. And you you lose hold of what you thought was true and trustworthy. How can I find truth when this world feels like it's crushing in all around me? Every one of you is on a, a journey to find truth in your life. And Paul writes to Timothy in these two letters... To encourage him as a young pastor to lead his church on that journey to find truth. To become a place where others can come and find truth. As he says, it's in the church with the lens of the gospel that we begin to find answers for everything in our lives. The joy, the understanding, the order, the peace that we're all seeking is found in the people who are built together by the gospel. And so our main idea today is to pursue truth through the gospel-focused church. Pursue truth through the gospel-focused church. This search for truth isn't strictly for religious things, just for spiritual ideas. Paul has in mind all of life. A couple of weeks ago, we saw from the book of Colossians that Jesus Christ is the creator and sustainer of all things. And Jake reminded us last week that all of history is pointing to, all of creation is groaning for the redemption of our bodies, the resurrection to a new creation. And so we know that Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection are the focal point of all truth. If we want to know anything in this world, from medicine to engineering, marriage and parenting, to overcoming the tragedies and difficulties in our life, it is best, most fully understood in light of the gospel, at work among ordinary, gathered, spirit-filled saints. So we're going to look at that big idea from these two books. Just These books have been a treasure to my heart. Connor Sabalka and I took over two years to work verse by verse, word by word through these books. And it was so encouraging to me. And I hope that encouragement is passed on to you today. 
These two letters are written by, by Paul to young pastor Timothy, one of the pastors at the little church in Ephesus. And Paul writes to him to tell him, teach, build up this church with sound doctrine so they can become a pillar and buttress of truth. That sounds pretty cool to me. We'll see what that means by looking at this text and then how Paul uses this idea through the rest of the book to explain to us how we ought to become that kind of church. And then we'll shift to our text in the second letter and examine this worldly war on truth. There's a battle in the life of every Christian to find confidence and joy and peace everywhere else but God's truth. We want to solve all of our problems by looking in different places. Satan is always on the attack, trying to tear down, divide the church. Paul encourages Timothy to stay faithful in the midst of these sure and inevitable trials. So let's go back to our text and just read it again and let the word of God have the power in this message. From 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll see from these couple of verses what Jesus intends his church to be. A pillar and buttress of truth. Go back to verse 14. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon. But he's in prison. So I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Paul puts this purpose statement right in the middle of this letter. In order to tell Timothy, this is the reason I'm writing everything else, to help you Build that church to become a pillar and buttress of truth. The church ought to behave in a way that lifts high truth for everyone to see and stands firm to defend it in this world. Throughout this letter, you'll see a great emphasis on right teaching, sound doctrine, Christ-centered instruction as a corrective, a pushback against deceptive doctrines. Different teachings, speculations even. The church is to be a gathering of people who hold up, uphold good, sound doctrine and defend it against every false way of thinking. So throughout the letter, he's explaining how the church ought to behave in the household of God. So we should emphasize sound doctrine and behave a certain way. He he wants us to see what we do reflects what we believe to be true. What we do reflects what we believe to be true. How you perceive reality will shape how you act in the world. And our lives together as a church family should reflect these important things we say we believe in a way that holds it up for everyone to see and defends against Everything else. A pillar is a column. It's a vertical support structure that holds up the superstructure of a building. All of the parts that you see with your eyes. 
And so a church should be like a column that lifts high all these core doctrines that we hold dear, that shape who we are, in order to inform everybody else how they ought to live, how to pursue every other truth. We are a tower of light in the middle of a fortified city on a hill, shining into the world. The church is also a buttress. How many of you use that word buttress regularly in your vocabulary? I had to look up what buttress means just to make sure. A buttress is a support structure against a wall. It's on the backside of a wall holding it up so it can withstand the pressure from the outside. These frontal attacks from the enemies that try to break into the city. And so likewise, the church, your behaviors, your activities together are to provide pushback against what the world is believing and doing and teaching. We put this truth forward and support it with our behavior in order to tell everyone there is a stronger fortress against all the troubles in the world. It's found with us in Christ. So what are some of these behaviors that support this truth? In chapter 1, Paul instructs us to get into the word, to have a proper understanding of the word. We are to be people who study the Bible, immerse ourselves in the word. So what we say, what we do, what we think, how we justify our actions, how we counsel one another should always come from the word. And then in chapter 2, he moves on to focus on humble, patient prayer. Knowing the word is only possible when you acknowledge that you are incapable of understanding it, when you are incapable of standing firm in it, when you are incapable of employing it to change everything around you, unless God acts through you. So when we're hurt, we must go to prayer first and often regularly to express our trust that God can handle this much better than my impulse to run or hide or fight back. As we pursue knowledge of all kinds in this world, prayer humbles our hearts to embark on this learning and research journey, trusting that the God who made it and holds it all together can reveal to me how it works and how to organize my life. If we humble ourselves in prayer in due time, the word will reveal truth to us and change our hearts And change our circumstances as well. And so in chapter 3, Paul emphasizes then being people of character. Led by people of character. The leaders of the church, the ones who stand up here and tell you what you should be thinking about, what you should be repeating, need to be people who have endured the attacks and temptations of Satan and remained faithful. They are people that are examples for all of you to imitate, to say, I see Jesus in him. I want to be like that. They model correcting false doctrine. They are people who have withstood temptation. They model an impulse to go to prayer and patiently wait on the Lord. In chapter 4, Paul emphasizes, reiterates again, that we must be a people devoted to sound doctrine. How can we uphold it and defend it if we don't actually know it? How can it change our lives if we're not putting its wisdom before our eyes all the time? 
We, we can't be people who try to read the secret will of God around us. Trying to speculate, what's God up to in my life? Is he leading me this way? Is he leading me this way? Discerning open and closed doors? No, we make our decisions by reading the word and preaching the word and praying the word and counseling one another with the word. And in chapter 5, he explains that all of this happens in relationship to one another. We prioritize these relationships because this isn't a, a solo project, praying and studying. Older men should get into the lives of younger men and disciple them. Older women, inviting younger women in to help them mature. Hurting and vulnerable people brought closer to more stable families to give them rest. The church listens to its elders and supports them as people who are on the front lines of every single battle. Many battles most of you aren't even aware of as they teach and they pray and they encourage and they disciple, trying to pull people away from sin and despair. And then he wraps up the book in chapter 6, reminding the church that godly action goes hand in hand with truth. We put the truth about God on display in our lives through our behavior. And things as simple as how we eat, how we dress ourselves, how we pursue our spouses, what we do with our money. Your study of the word, your prayer, your character, prioritizing these relationships, all of it is God's design to reveal truth to you, to align your life with that truth and put the truth on display in this world. That is his design for keeping people, drawing people, saving people from destruction. Now, you hear all of this sound doctrine talk and maybe you're, you're a little overwhelmed thinking, Man, I don't know if I can study theology as much. I'm not really a nerd. Is he telling me I have to buy big, thick theology books and study more? Let's move to verse 16 in our text for some encouragement. You don't need broad, extensive theological knowledge. There is one core message that is central to every field of study, every life application. This is the doctrine that you must know. He says, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. The key, the one thing to please God in God's world. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world and taken up in glory. You may recognize that as the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus. The church's activity may be the pillar and buttress of truth, but the gospel is its foundation. And Christ is the spire, the crown, pointing our eyes heavenward. This is a song that Paul writes for Timothy to put in his heart and sing it over and over and over and pass it on to the next generation. This is the core of all truth. This is the starting and ending point of every discussion about truth. Nobody can know exhaustively all truth, but the gospel brings us into a relationship with the one who does. This is how we begin all of our truth journeys, with the lens of the gospel. Jesus was manifested in the flesh. 
He was a real person who lived in history. He became a man, lived a perfect life, died a real human death. But he rose from the dead. He was vindicated by the Spirit, proving he was innocent. He was righteous. Death had no hold on him. And all who follow him are guaranteed to find truth and overcome in this world as well. Paul wants us to know he was seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations. These things aren't made up. This isn't just a neat story to encourage you. This is truth. This was witnessed by spiritual, physical creatures who have since given their lives to telling this story. It really happened. Align yourselves with this truth as they did. Believe on him in this world. And now he is taken up in glory. As we have preached regularly to you in our time, through many trials, many difficulties, through it all, Jesus is on his throne in heaven. Through every chaotic experience, you, you can know that he is in control. When you endeavor to use your mind in this world to study things, you can know Jesus is holding all of the synapses and, and neurons in my brain together so that I can engage this world that he holds together with order. My study is meaningful. All of this gives us confidence to stand firm as a pillar and buttress of truth. We have seen him work in our lives. We have believed on him. We know he lived and died and rose for us. And he rules over all things in heaven and earth. And so Paul gives us this song to give us eyes to see the truth in every situation. This poem guides our heart to humbly, patiently trust That God is at work. This hymn shapes us into a godly people of honorable character. This anthem turns us into a family that learns from one another and seeks out each other's input. This refrain adds purpose and pleasure to every circumstance, hopeful that the resurrection power can break through. This chorus transforms us into hopeful people who endure every trial together, awaiting our own resurrection. Now, if we're called to uphold the truth, stand firm on it and and defend it, that must mean there's a battle for this truth, that there will be many attacks on it. And so Paul writes again a little later to Timothy to warn him that faithfulness to Jesus comes at a great cost. Let's read our second Timothy chapter one text again and see this worldly war on truth. Paul tells tells Timothy and us, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to this holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished sin and death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Paul tells us, don't be ashamed of this gospel that enlightens every search for truth. Why would someone be ashamed of that? That's exciting. 
Well, you think about it. We're a gathering of pretty ordinary, not influential, not spectacular people in this world. And we claim to be the pillar and buttress of truth. That's no small claim. This attitude, that truth-seeking, must start in the church with gospel lenses is going to sound ridiculous, crazy to most people. People are going to complain that you've got the wrong focus or, or that you're so arrogant to think that all truth starts here. Or you overemphasize this struggle or these relationships. But Paul says, don't be ashamed of it. This is where your life is transformed. We have experienced it giving us hope through our own trials. We have seen many of you have your lives transformed when you surrender to the gospel and invite others in to seek truth. Don't let the voices of naysayers and the threats of accusers make you feel bad about pursuing truth through a gospel-focused church. The death and resurrection of Christ, the reign of King Jesus on his throne in heaven, the spirit at work among God's people guarantees you will be vindicated. It will be shown to you that you are on the right path. And so you can rest, be joyful as an ordinary husband, wife, single person, man, woman, Wherever God, whatever path God has you on, keeping this gospel center along with God's people will keep you on the path to truth. Paul says, don't be ashamed, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. He's trying to tell Timothy throughout this whole letter. Difficulty will be a regular part of the Christian life. If we're the pillar and buttress of truth, if we are the place where we encourage people to come and find answers from God, then Satan will do everything he can to keep us from gathering, to divide us, to shame us, to fill us with doubt and suspicion about one another so that we give up. We are to share these sufferings together. There's such a repeated emphasis in all of Paul's teaching. The gospel doesn't make your life better right now. It will give you joy right now as you anticipate Christ's return at any moment. But until he does, it will be filled with struggle. Just like Jake said last week, if our head died, the body dies. If the head rises, the body rises. If the head suffers, the body will suffer. But we must not be surprised because Jesus said it's part of following him. When it comes, do not fear. Do not fear the pain, the trials. Paul said in the verse just before this, in verse 7, God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. He's warning us that when hardship comes our way, our natural impulse will be to fear, to pull away from these things. Fear is the greatest hindrance to finding truth. Fear crowds out the light that shines 
on what you need to see to discern what is really happening. Fear casts shadows of doubt on the people God has put in your life to trust. It rejects the very instruments that Paul is giving Timothy to find truth and the joy and hope that come from knowing it. This is our calling to suffer together. This is one of the primary ways that we get to show that we are a pillar and buttress of truth. When difficulty comes, we stand firm together. We stay patient. We prayerfully wait together for God to work. And we show the world there is something going on among us that they don't understand. Something deep, deeper, more foundational to our souls than we can ever accomplish in our own strength or anything that the world can offer us. The gospel is what shapes us. The truth of the gospel grounds us through the storms and inspires us to singing and dancing and motivates us to build something better for people to participate in. And verses 9 and 10 remind us that it's not our strength Our cleverness, our intellect, our efforts, our ideas that give us this confidence. It's the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. This gospel gives us power and lights every truth-seeking journey. Each of you is on your own truth journey. How will you find it on that path? God designed you to pursue truth. And he gave you the light of the gospel and a community of spirit-filled truth bearers to strengthen you on the way. So let me just remind you from Paul's emphases in these books of three things to equip you for your truth journey. First, you must fill your heart with truth, with sound doctrine. Of course, that means read your Bible a lot, but so much more. I don't just want to give you the... Read your Bible. Answer. How can you do that? How can you bury truth deep in your heart so that when anything is thrown at you, you can recognize that's not true. That is leading me to fear. That is bad advice. Well, one thing you're all doing really well today. Immerse yourself in the church community, especially on Sunday morning. Gather with God's people where we preach the word, we read the word, we sing the word, we pray the word together. And then join a community group and other study groups in order to be saturated as you go deeper into the word. Don't be discouraged if you don't know very much. Don't stay away because you think, I don't have much to offer the discussion. No, this is the way you grow is immersing yourself in the discussion. Even if you have nothing to say. A a newborn baby doesn't learn to talk by isolating itself in self-study until it gets confident enough to string together a few words to engage mom and dad's conversation. No, they just listen. 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 Until you want to try out a few words on your own. You could practice uh, start a practice of Bible, Bible memorization. As we did a couple years ago, we tried to memorize the whole book of Philippians over the course of a few months. That's a big task, but very fruitful and rewarding. Some of those truths so deep in my soul. Or you could 
Pick a few challenging verses that really confront your natural tendencies. Memorize them so when difficulty comes, that's the first thing that grabs onto your heart. Don't do what you always naturally do. Or memorize blessings. My kids get the fruit of this one when I give them blessings every night at bedtime. Blessings that every time you meet someone, you can give your friends a Bible blessing to encourage their souls. And find music that's saturated with the word and treasure it in your heart. Music just has this special way of really sticking. Kind of earworm is the, the, the word that I just keep playing that in my head over and over. If it's a good Bible saturated song, that's a good thing to get stuck in your head over and over. We try to pick songs on Sunday morning that match the truth of the text so that this, you are just inundated with all of this truth and it will carry you through the entire week. We want to be a people who, when we are squeezed by the world, the word just comes pouring out. And the second tool for your truth journey will be prayer. I know this kind of sounds trite. Read your Bible and pray. It's more than that. We want to develop an impulse to humble ourselves in prayer and patiently wait on the Lord. He will change our circumstances. Our natural instinct when facing the battles in the world is to run and hide or fight back with worldly ways. But prayer reminds us to turn first to Jesus. Prayer reminds us we can't protect ourselves. Prayer reminds us we are not the fount of all knowledge and wisdom and truth. Jesus is. So build a habit of praying. You can do that by by going to every conversation with the conviction, at some point I want to offer a prayer for this brother or sister or this friend or neighbor. Or if someone reaches out to you and says, will you pray for me? Don't just say, yeah, I'll pray for you. Do it right then and there or send them a text, an email or what's been really sweet for our family is how many handwritten letters and cards we've gotten over the last week. So meaningful, filled with prayers of truth. You can also join us in group prayers every Sunday before Sunday school at nine o'clock in an office right over there. A group of us is praying that the word will go forth that Christ will be exalted, and that all of our hearts will be captivated by his glory. Join us for that. Every Thursday for the past five years, a group of men have prayed almost every week, I guess, except for some holidays. Prayed for you, for one another, for our city, for the nations. You don't have to speak up in those groups. Just come and listen and build your impulse to pray. Finally, learn to open your heart to others in the church. Not every single person has all the answers. Nobody's going to see all the angles that need to be seen. Nobody has the exact experience and knowledge that you need. So you can't surround yourself with just the voices that you want to hear. Paul warns Timothy regularly in these two verses, in these two books of this tendency. Don't let the only voices to speak into your life be the ones that affirm what you already think and feel. It's okay to have some of that, but invite 
others in. Go seek out more relationships in the body. Let people speak boldly and honestly into your circumstances. Ask around the church. Get their perspectives on decisions. Should I take this job? Should I pursue this education? Should I move to a different place? Let your brothers and sisters challenge you and trust that when their challenge hurts you, that God is using those challenges and those people to lead you to the truth. Opening your hearts to others will make you more vulnerable to getting hurt. Sometimes the truth hurts. It might seem scary to open up your heart and let others see in there. But the truth will set you free from that fear. And we can be confident the truth will prevail among the brothers and sisters because we are a spirit-filled, blood-bought pillar and buttress of truth. We will win the worldly war on truth because we have the gospel before our eyes guaranteeing vindication in our resurrection. We can pursue truth through the gospel-focused church and know that no matter the trial or the question, Among the believers, Christ will reveal his strength and carry us to the truth. Let's pray. God, I thank you for all of these souls in this room. Like Timothy, Paul to Timothy, saying, my true son in the faith. Or as he encouraged the older men in the to the younger men and the older women to the younger women. Oh, I feel such an affection for these people and want them to find hope and joy and stability in the truth. Would you guide us? Would you comfort our hearts when we have to open them to others? Heal us with the salve of the gospel and set us on the path towards eternal joy with the source of all truth, our King Jesus. Amen.